church family there are incredible things that the Lord is doing around the world and it is a joy to pastor a church that desires to be a part of it. So as we've heard from Mark at Redemption Heights and from Josiah in Rwanda, um, the Lord is moving in those places and a big part of that, a contributing factor of that, as well as the spread of the gospel on the Appalachian Trail and the Eastern Shore is the faithful work of this local church. There is no other plan that the Lord has to spread the gospel to the nations than his local church. And we get to be a part of that. He invites us to join him on that. And it is that invitation that we will consider this morning as we challenge one another from God's word in Mark chapter 4. So I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. As you do, will you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word for the sake of time? Because we're going to consider 34 verses this morning. And I'm just going to say it. I'm going to preach till I'm done unapologetically this morning. Okay? So this is what we're going to do for the next little while. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12, which is one of the four parables that Jesus tells in this section of the Gospel of Mark. So hear the words of our Lord. Jesus, Mark records here, and he began to teach beside the sea. That would be the Sea of Galilee. And a very large crowd gathered about him. So he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And he sowed. Some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable, and he said to them, to you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. For those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for reports of gospel spread and churches planted and lives saved and changed by the good news of Jesus just some hour or two drive from here on the Eastern Shore in a difficult to reach city in Philadelphia. As we heard last night of hikers seeking something in their lives on the Appalachian Trail and in a far and distant land in East Africa. God, in your goodness, you have included us, your church, in your plan to reach your people around the world. God, would we be a church that is dedicated to sowing the gospel as you have entrusted us to do, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. 
Sometimes when we come to our Pray, Sin, Go Sunday, it is one of the very few times that I will break from my sermon series and uh, preach a mission sermon, uh, preach a sermon on missions from some other text of Scripture. But occasionally, it just works out. And this was one of those years. I, I can, we always do Pray, Sin, Go Sunday at the end of September, and as I was um, back in the uh, winter and early spring planning this Mark series, I had Pray, Sin, Go on uh, the calendar, on my preaching calendar, and I was filling out how I was going to preach through Mark, and I came to Mark chapter 4, and I stopped for a moment, and I said, Lord, you really are good. Because I can think really of very few places in Scripture that will challenge us this morning any better than these verses from this section of Mark. As Jesus turns, as, we, as Mark has introduced to us, to, to address the crowd in parables. Now, Jesus will tell other parables, and I'll go into further detail uh, in those sermons about why he speaks to them in parables. I, I am going to focus today simply on the mission of sowing the gospel. And so there'll be a couple of things that, that I don't address that are, that are in the text just for the sake of time and for the sake of clarity in the sermon. But Jesus has turned his attention. He's now going to tell four parables, three of them agricultural, because he is preaching, he is teaching and preaching here in northern Galilee in the first century, uh, an agrarian culture. And so he's going to use illustrations, and, and that's what a parable is, really. It's an illustration, and it's an untrue story with a point. Then he's going to tell these stories to these people, and then in this case, his disciples are going to come to him after him. He's like, what in the world was that about? And Jesus is going to give them special instruction. So not everybody gets the clarity. Only the disciples get get some of this clarity that Jesus is going to provide. And then they pass it on to the church through uh, the New Testament. And, and we get to understand why Jesus told these stories the way that he did. The main idea of today's sermon is that the church has been entrusted with the task of faithfully sowing gospel seeds and trusting the Lord with the harvest. The church is God's plan A. It is his only plan. We, the local body of believers gathered together, are the ones who have been tasked with making disciples that make disciples locally and globally. But we don't make disciples on our own. We can't force the gospel into someone's heart. We can't cause someone to believe. We can't make them to follow Jesus. All we do is sow the gospel and preach the word as Jesus is illustrating here in these parables. And we then trust that the Lord will bring the harvest. So what we will see from these four parables is four unique angles that challenge us in our mission to proclaim the gospel of Jesus together. The first is the nature of sowing the gospel. Now, I've already read verses 1 through 12, which is where Jesus has given this parable of a sower, a man that goes out into his field and he begins to scatter seeds. And these seeds fall on four different types of soil, Jesus said. Some fall on the hardened path, 
Some fall on shallow soil that would have been around the edges of the field uh, that it's not going to be able to take root very well. Some falls amongst the weeds and the thorns, and then some of those seeds fall on good and fertile soil ready to grow. And then as Jesus enters into a time with just his disciples, they ask him there, what do these things mean? Why, why are you telling this story? And then fortunately for us, Jesus goes into great detail with his disciples and explains it to them, starting in verse 13. Each of these four seeds represents the receiver of the gospel message. The sower is the church. The sower in the story is us. We are the ones who are sowing God's word. And there are four types of people that will hear it, Jesus says. Most of them will hear the gospel and reject it. Most hearers will reject the gospel. Most are the hardened soil. Most are this first category. Look at verses 13 through 15. Jesus said to them, do do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. This is the response of most people who hear the gospel. Now, we shouldn't necessarily think that because most hearts are hardened towards the gospel, that most people are antagonistic towards the gospel. Because in truth, that's not really accurate. While there are many people in our culture and around the world who are antagonistic towards the gospel, it is not only they who have hardened hearts. This is anyone who hears it and just thinks, ah, that's really not for me. Uh, That's a message that may be good for you. And maybe you have a close friend, someone that you know you've shared the gospel with, and they've responded with something very similar to this. Well, I'm glad you found something that works good for you. That's what most people in our culture today think about the gospel and think about the church. When they hear about our faith in Jesus, they're as good, uh, as, as good uh, postmoderns do. They think, well, that's great. You found a truth that works great for you, but that's not really what I'm going to believe. I'm not going to dedicate my life to that. I'm not going to believe in some, some teachings and some works and, and a crucifixion and resurrection that happened all that time ago. Why would I change my life on the account of what you believe? Now, yes, there are certainly people here and around the world who are very antagonistic towards the gospel. Some of them persecute Christians, and we will get to the the result of their persecution here in a moment. But recognize most of the seeds that we sow are sown into hard soil. And we must come to grips with this idea that we are inviting people to follow Jesus, and most of them will not do it. Rejection of the gospel message is guaranteed in the scriptures. So if you ask people, why is it that you don't share the gospel? The two most common answers that people give for why they don't share the gospel, number one is rejection. Number two is, I'm not sure that I'll have the right answers if they were to press me a little bit. Listen, if you're afraid of rejection and that's the reason you won't share the gospel, that's something you're going to have to get over because rejection is promised. You are going to sow seeds in the hearts of people that are going to look at you and think you're nuts. 
We just have to be okay with it. In his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul writes in, in chapter 2, but because of your hard and impenitent hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. This is the fate of all who are without Christ. All who reject the gospel are storing up wrath for themselves, and they're doing so because their hearts are hardened. And listen, they can't soften their hearts on their own. We can't soften their hearts for them. We simply sow seeds, and some of those seeds fall on soil that will reject it. And I would say many, most, will reject it. And yet Jesus doesn't say to his disciples, save the seed. (laughs) Do you notice the indiscriminate nature of the sowing in this story? This doesn't seem like a very good farmer, does it? I don't know a whole lot about farmers. And of course, we have guests with us from the Eastern Shore who directly work with farmers. And I'm assuming I could bring some people up that do this and they could tell us about how to be discriminate with your seeds, about how to plant them a certain amount of distance and about how to know what kind of soil you're looking for and how to care for those seeds. This doesn't seem like a great farmer at all. It's just a guy out there just throwing seeds everywhere. And it lands in all manner of places. But we're not supposed to discriminate with our gospel message. We're supposed to tell anyone in our path, recognizing that many of those seeds will fall on hardened hearts and these people will not believe. At least in that moment, they will not believe. We're not really sure. We don't know who the, what those hardened hearts will eventually believe. We don't know what the Lord may do with that seed at some point, but many, most, will reject it. Number two. Some hearers will seem to believe but fail to endure. Look at verses 16 and 17. And these, the second seed, are those, the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately they fall away. I told you some people, some hardened hearts will be antagonistic towards the gospel. And because of their antagonism towards the good news of Jesus, they specifically seek to persecute those who believe. And the Christian life is not promised to be easy. But some people think it is. Some people see the gospel message in a false way, a way that promises them some type of easy life when they actually see that the Christian life is a call to endurance in persecution and sanctification through suffering, they abandon a faith that was never really theirs to begin with. Now, I've preached this same parable from Luke several years ago, and I explained this further then. I was preaching less text in that sermon. I encourage you to go back several years on our website and listen to that. I unpacked this further. But let me just say, this second seed that falls upon the rocky soil and seems to grow up for a minute, but ultimately it fades away. It, it, it is unable to endure. It is unable to stand the test that the Christian life brings it with never true faith and repentance. The second and the third seed, like the first, are still lost. They may seem to think that the gospel is good news for a moment, but in the face of Christian persecution and suffering, they wither away and die. 
In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says this, then they will, talking to his disciples, he says, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Don't come to me after the service and say, I'm mad at you because you said the second seed wasn't saved. Hear the words of Jesus. The one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Endurance to the end is necessary for followers of Christ. True followers of Christ are the fourth seed. So there are going to be people who hear the gospel, and it seems like good news to them for a brief period of time. But then, in this instance, persecution and suffering causes because they have no root, causes the leaf to fade and wither away. Number three, some hearers will seem to believe, but exchange the gospel for the world. Verses 18 and 19. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So there are some hearers who will seem to believe but exchange the gospel for the world. This has a similar feel to the second seed. There is at least some dirt there. It's not the hardened path, but instead of being amongst rocky soil, this is amongst weeds and thorns. And those weeds and thorns, while that plant begins to grow a little bit. Those weeds and thorns represent the cares of this world, Jesus says. They, they represent the deceitfulness of riches and, and, and the desire of worldly things. And ultimately, the person looks around and thinks the world more valuable than the gospel, and they walk away from the gospel. Having the riches of the good news of Jesus in their hands, they exchange it for the trinkets of the world. They exchange it for pleasure, temporal pleasure in the world. Because they've not truly believed that the gospel is worth sacrificing all in this world for. So far, this has been a pretty depressing parable. You have this sower happily out there just scattering seeds wherever he may throw it. And so far, some of it has fallen on just hard-packed soil and the birds have come and eaten it away. Some has fallen amongst rocky soil. And he may have gotten hopeful for a minute because it sprung up, but then it died away. And others was amongst the thorns and he may have got hopeful there because it sprung up, but the thorns choked it out. Where do we find hope? We find hope in this fourth seed that a few hearers will believe and be saved. Jesus says in verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. These are those who hear the gospel and follow Christ in true repentance and faith. They may be few, 
For, for the hundreds and hundreds of seeds sown, there may be but one or two or three that fall on good soil and believe and are saved and bear fruit. But hear me, church, for us to share the gospel hundreds and hundreds of times only for a few to believe is worth it. For us to give sacrificially to an offering that ensures that missionaries stay on the field for us to give to an offering that ensures that churches are planted, for us to give to an offering that ensures that people from our church are able to go and sow seeds of the gospel amongst the nations is worth it. If a mission team comes back and they say, folks, we were able to share the gospel and no one was saved, it was worth it. Just as much worth it if one comes back and says, as we heard from uh, our women's team that went to Rwanda in one place where they taught eight people profess faith in Jesus. It's worth it. It's worth the money we spend. It's worth the time we spend. It's worth the energy we put into it, sowing the seeds of the gospel. And yes, many of them will fall in places where people will not receive it, but some of them will believe. And as we look out on the landscape of our world, we don't know what those places will be. It's not like a farmer being able to look out on his field and say, well, here is the good soil and here is the path. We look out and we don't know. So what do we do? We proclaim the gospel, recognizing that we are calling people to follow a path that is narrow. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Yes, it's a few. We've been told it's a few. Don't be surprised when it's only a few, but rejoice anyway in the few. Rejoice anyway when the seed falls on fertile soil and gospel belief takes root in people's lives. We faithfully proclaim the gospel, trusting that God will bring those seeds to fall on fertile soil. Now, let me just give a note of application before I move to the next parable. Just quickly, a note of personal application, because some of you may have heard this and you may be struggling. So, wait a second. How do I know that I'm not one of those two middle seats? How do I know that tomorrow I won't exchange the good news of the gospel for cares of this world? How do I know that I will endure in the face of persecution? Just look in your life for a moment. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So how can you know that you're that fourth seed? Just quickly, you look in your life and ask this question, am I abiding in Jesus? Am I bearing fruit? Think about the parable Jesus says. What happens to that seed? It bears fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And here's the confidence that we can have in Christ. If you're bearing fruit today because you are connected to the vine, you will bear fruit connected to that same vine for the rest of your life. This isn't a sermon causing you to, trying to cause you to doubt your salvation in any way whatsoever. We should find great joy and assurance in knowing that as we are connected with Jesus and we have fruit in our lives, fruit that is identified within the local church, that the church sees that fruit. That the church says, yes, you're a believer. And you as a part of the church say to the next person beside you, yes, I see fruit in your life. You're a believer. We can trust that we will endure. That we will not trade our gospel hope away. 
Thank you, God. Then the lives of so many in this room, the seed of the gospel fell on fertile soil and it has taken root and it has borne great fruit. Second, I told you I was going to preach, so I'm done. I, I know what time it is. The imperative sowing the gospel. Look at verses 21 through 25 with me. This is the second parable in this section. It is the only one that is not agrarian. And he said to them, as a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So the second thing we see is we saw first the nature of the gospel. We're sowing seeds and, and few of them will find fertile soil and people will believe. Second, we see this imperative to sow gospel seeds. Sowing gospel seeds is not the work of a few Christians. Sowing gospel seeds is the work of all Christians. Can I say that again? Because somebody don't even think heard it. Sowing gospel seeds is not the work of a few Christians. Sowing gospel seeds is the work of all Christians. All Christians make disciples. It's what we do. It is the imperative. We often try to, I do in my sermons, our small group leaders try to in uh, their small group lessons, reference our six core beliefs that we have as a church. We've identified six things together as a church. And we say, these are the things that to be a member of our church, we believe together. And you know, I have these things hanging above my desk in my study. I, I look at them all the time. I have them memorized. I would encourage you, you memorize them. And the first core belief that we have is what we believe about the Bible. And here's what we believe about the Bible. We believe the Bible is God's word. So because the Bible is God's word, it is, it is completely true, wholly authoritative, and must be proclaimed. That last phrase, must be proclaimed, is the only imperative in our core beliefs. Every other part of our core beliefs, all six of our core beliefs, every one of them are us saying we believe certain things. But there's only one that we say we believe we must do, and that is we believe as a church that we must proclaim God's word because of its very nature. Exactly what Jesus is saying here. The nature of a lamp demands that you not cover it with a basket. The nature of a lamp demands that you set it on a place so it gives light to the room. That's, if, if you cover it with a basket, it ceases to be what it was. And God's word is such that it demands proclamation of those who believe it. We must proclaim it. And to know the gospel and to refuse to share the gospel is to misuse the gospel for selfish purposes. That's what Jesus means in verses 24 and 25 when he says, pay attention to what you hear and with the measure you used it, it will be measured to you. He's saying to, to have received the gospel and to believe the gospel and to somehow then try to hide it under a basket and to tuck it away and to not tell people about it and to not demonstrate it in your life is to misuse it. Why? Because we are the light of the world. This is what Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 5. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Because of its very nature, it's on a hill. You couldn't hide it if you wanted to. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and give light to all the house. He says then, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Gospel proclamation is a belief. It's something we do because of the nature of that which we have believed in and is the responsibility of every believer in this room. Because if you are a part of this church, it is the mission of this church to proclaim the gospel in our effort to make disciples. It is not a option. It is an imperative. The next two sections return, Jesus does, to parables about seeds. And he leans into this idea that seeds are amazing little things. <laughs> they really are. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. You have these dried up little things that can just kind of blow away in the wind, many of them. But you plant them in good soil and you water them a little bit. And the next thing you know, something's growing. Out of what seemed dead comes life. And Jesus leans into this wonder for the next two parables. So let's just lean into the wonder of the seed for a moment with Jesus. Number three, the mystery of sowing the gospel. Verses 26 through 29, he said to them, he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Again, first century, very likely a fairly uneducated group of people. Like they, they didn't know how seeds work. I don't really know how seeds work. I, wasn't, I didn't pay great attention in uh, science class, okay? Um, some of you in here could probably explain to us a little bit about how seeds work, right? But can we all just admit there's a little bit of mystery behind taking this tiny little dead-looking thing and putting it in the ground and a week, two weeks, three weeks later, something alive comes out of it? There's just a mystery there. And that, that's what Jesus is giving us. Like, we don't know. He's saying the farmer doesn't know how this happened. The same is true about gospel proclamation. We sow the seeds indiscriminately into the lives of people. We may water it a little bit because it's not just about standing on a soapbox on a street corner telling people to repent, but it's actually investing in the lives of people, showing people the gospel through your actions and your words. And as we do that, people come to faith in Jesus. And here's what I want you to know. If we could figure out how to manufacture that, we, we could do it, but we can't. We, we can't manufacture that. I say to our elders all the time here, you know, disciple making is not a machine where we put someone in one side, crank a handle, and out on the other pops a disciple. If it was, I would build that machine. But that machine doesn't exist. I don't know how someone goes from being dead in their trespasses and sin to being alive in Christ. I don't know the work. I can't explain the work that the Holy Spirit does to take a hardened heart and make it alive. It's like a seed going in the ground. There's great mystery to it. But because there's great mystery to it means that we don't get to take credit for it. We don't get to claim a patent on the machine because 
it is the work of God. And the Apostle Paul leans into this idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Because in, in church in Corinth, among many other things that they were getting kind of wonky in that church... One of them was they were like staking their salvation on who shared the gospel with them. And they were claiming to be more or less important depending on who had shared the gospel with them. And Paul writes them. And he says, what then is Apollos? Apollos was one of the guys that shared the gospel with them. What is Paul? Paul is the guy who shared the gospel with them is writing to them. Servants through whom you believed is the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. This isn't a competition amongst growers. We're, we're not comparing the fruitfulness of, of our Eastern Shore ministry against our Appalachian Trail ministry or against Redemption Heights, our church plant in Philly, and Great Joy Bible Church, our church plant in Kigali, Rwanda. We're not comparing these things because they're not in competition with each other. We're not comparing the success of one mission team compared to the next. We're not comparing the success of your gospel proclamation against the person sitting next to you. Because we're not in competition as growers. God is the only grower. We are simply faithful stewards of the gospel message that he has entrusted to us. We are seed scatterers. That's what we are. We're seed waterers. That's what we are. We're field tenders. That's what we are. But those seeds that grow out of the ground aren't because we did something special. The only one who can do anything special is God. He gives the growth. Number four, the outcome of sowing the gospel. Look at these final verses, last parable. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts on large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them and as they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This final parable is that of a little mustard seed. I can remember back in my early youth ministry days taking some, ki- some kids to a youth camp, some students to a youth camp, and at the door of coming into one of our worship services, they passed out little mustard seeds. And immediately as they were doing it, I was like, oh, this is a pretty good, idea. pretty good idea. I know what this guy's doing. And we went through the whole worship thing. They had skits. They did the whole deal. The guy gets up and preaches. And about 20 minutes into his thing, he's like, all right, if you still have your mustard seed, hold it up. How many of those like middle school kids you think were able to keep up with that tiny little mustard? Very, very few. It was, a whole, it was an illustration about just how small that mustard, mustard seeds are tiny little things. They're just tiny little things. But they grow into these great big bushes. So big that birds can, can lay their nests in them, Jesus says. And this is the outcome of sowing the gospel. These little bitty seeds that we plant in the ground grow into these great gigantic things. This week I was reading a news article and as the further I read into it, the more I'm amazed I became, not only about the story, but just how well it fit as an illustration here. So bear with me for a minute. Let me tell you a story. Not a parable, it is a true story, but it's, it, it's helpful here. 
in the very northeast corner of India, in a place called, uh, there's a river called the Brahmaputra River. I could write it down, make sure I said it right. The Brahmaputra River, probably still didn't say it right. And there was a man that lives in that region that has become known as the forest man of India. In the 1970s, a section of the a section of land that his tribe had lived on was cut off by the Bamaprucha River, large section of land. And the, because of deforestation, people had cleared out much of that land, and because it got cut off, it ended up being barren, that nothing was growing there. And one day, witnessing some animals in, in a, during a heat wave find no place for shelter on the river, the man decided he was going to do something about it. It's a true story. You could Google the forest man of India, and read it's fascinating. And so in the late 1970s, he started getting up at 4.30 every morning, paddling his boat across the river and planting a tree. He started with bamboo, because bamboo grows quickly. And every day, for over 40 years now, this man has woken up early in the morning, got in his boat, crossed over, and planted a tree. There is now on that small island over two square miles of jungle because this man has planted trees. He didn't ask permission to plant the trees. He didn't seek counsel about how to plant trees. He just crossed the river and started planting trees. Over 1,300 acres of jungle now exists in a place that was completely barren in the 1970s. There is now six months out of the year a herd of 150 elephants that lives in this man's jungle. Tigers and deer, flourishing wildlife. And so they've given him all these awards. It's really a fascinating story. In this interview that I'm reading about it, the man's talking about planting trees and it's really just kind of fast. The man's got no education. It's just, he just wanted to do something. And he says something I thought was profound. They asked him, they said, how many of the trees on the island do you think you planted? He says, I have no idea how many trees I planted. He says that I know, though, that there are, you know, exponentially more trees on the island than the ones that I planted. Because, and this is what he said, trees know how to plant trees. And so as they grew up, what happened? They began to, seeds began to fall and they began to plant more trees. And I'm reading that in my office this week and I'm just going... Trees know how to plant trees. Disciples know how to make disciples. And this work of this one man to plant two square miles of jungle, just one little tree at a time, it reminded me so much of this parable. We're out here planting these little seeds. And even in our lifetime, we may not see what will become of it. But here's the faith and hope that we can have in the gospel. They will grow into these mighty things. Here's my prayer. Even if I don't get to see it and don't get to be personally involved in it, but for a period of time, my prayer is that in West Philadelphia and in Kigali, Rwanda, gospel movements of Bible-believing churches continue for generations because of the work of this church. Here's my prayer. That hikers from the Appalachian Trail who hear the gospel and migrant workers on the Eastern Shore who hear the gospel, who will then go home and go to other places, will believe what they heard, believe what they heard, and 
gospel movements of Bible-believing churches will be planted for generations far beyond what we could ask or imagine simply because we were faithful to plant seeds that God grows into great things. So what? How will I engage in the task of sowing gospel seeds as we pray, send, and go together? We read from Matthew, our uh, Don read earlier from Matthew. I want to read from Luke the same verses, or at least very similar verses, as Jesus is sending out the 72. He says to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, and this is where we get pray, send, go from, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. We have an imperative to proclaim the gospel. They will not always succeed, but God will water and God will give the growth and he will grow it into things beyond that which we can imagine. The question for you is how will you engage in it? This is why we have this Sunday. We don't have this Sunday every year to pat ourselves on the back and be like, look how great we did with this. That's not why we do it. We do this so we can say, what are we going to do next? What are we going to do now? You'll notice in the connector that where, we, where we've outlined the last two weeks what the Praise and Go Missions offering, because the, the, those things adjust a little bit every year. You'll notice that there's a new category this year. It's a category actually that we started in 2015 that eventually led to planting Redemption Heights Church. We're starting that category again this year. Because we believe within the next couple of years that we will, through our new partnership with the Pillar Network that we formed last year, other Pillar Networks now here in Hampton Roads, that we will either plant or revitalize a church right here in Hampton Roads in the next couple of years. And it's going to re require resources to do it. So starting in October, when you give to the Praise and Go Missions offering, 10% of that's going to go into a fund that will one day plant or revitalize a church right here in Hampton Roads. As you give to that, it's going to continue to send missionaries we don't know and church planners we don't know through the North American missions offering and the international missions offering. It's going to continue to send teams from our church to Rwanda, Appalachian Trail, Eastern Shore, and Philadelphia. It's going to continue to support the work of Great Joy Bible Church and Redemption Heights Church. This is how we send together. We do so sacrificially. We do so above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings. We give until, really, it may hurt for some of us. But we believe that the gospel needs to go forth. And so we give so that we can send people. We also commit to going together. We'll likely have somewhere between 12 and 15 mission trips next year, over the next 12 months, from our church to our partners. Will you go? There's a place on that card. You can say, I'm interested in this. And this week, somebody will follow up with you and say, here's how you can be on one of these teams soon a one-day team to the Eastern Shore, or a 10-day team to Rwanda, and everything in between. But here's what everybody in this room can do. Everybody in this room can diligently and earnestly pray to the Lord of the harvest, recognizing that he alone is the Lord of the harvest. So we pray, we send, we go together because we have been commanded in Scripture to sow the gospel amongst the nations. So you join with me in doing that. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give us some instructions of our response. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have tasked your church with proclaiming your gospel. It's not our gospel. It's not our good news. It's yours. This isn't our church. It's your church. We are your plan to see 
sinners repent and turn towards Christ and to see healthy churches planted so that disciples can be made around the world. God, would, would you spark within us a deep desire to see that, to see that fruit, to diligently pursue that fruit in our own lives of sowing the gospel and in our congregation's work of sowing the gospel. Thank you for the workers that have come out from here. Would you call up new ones to the field that they may go because it is white for the harvest, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This is the one time of year that we physically respond together. And so what we ask you to do is to take those cards. We don't want you to have them connected. So the top one, we want your name on it so we can know how to follow up with you if you're interested in a team. So don't write Bryce family, right? Ryan Bryce, right? Christy Bryce, right? Whoever you are, write that on there so we can know who we're following up with, who want, who's interested in going to what, and somebody will follow up with you. Commit to pray and then tear off that bottom part and Together, commit as a family to what you could give to the Praise and Go offering over the next year so that we can continue to support missionaries, support church planners, and send people from our church to go. So we're going to, to uh, sing together. We're going to be singing a new song now. It's one I hope you love because I love it. And it's going to kind of be our anthem for coming forward and saying, God, I'll go. God, I'll send. God, I'll pray to you. Even if you're a guest with us, you could say, today I'll pray. So as we stand together, our worship team begins to sing. I'll invite you forward to lay your cards on the platform of how you will commit over the next 12 months to praying and sending and going. Would you stand with us now?